Well, good morning. It's great to share with you today from Hebrews 2. Why don't I quickly pray as we open up the scripture in a moment or two. Lord, we pray that you would speak powerfully to us individually and as a church. And whilst we're online and it's not our preferred way of meeting, we pray that there be a presence of your spirit in our homes and ministering to us this morning. Amen. So we are in Hebrews 2 and we're looking at what does it look like throughout Hebrews to fix our attention on Jesus and to build our life upon him. I don't know about you, but I continue to realise this is a marathon, not a sprint. I know that's an overused cliche, but it's true. It's hard. There's so many unknowns and uncertainties. And all we can really do as Christians is turn our attention to Jesus, to say that he's the same yesterday, today and forever as we read elsewhere in Hebrews, and that he's able to hold us and sustain us in this challenging season. I know I mentioned it last week, but I love what... Corrie ten Boom famously says, if you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if we look above, we'll be at rest. In a time where things are constantly changing, there's so many unknowns. I'm sure like me, you weren't delighted by Nicola Sturgeon's re- recent update. But what we can do is have our hope, our security, our joy, our comfort, our peace and the eternal Jesus and believe that we can be rooted and secure in him. You see, this is hard yards for Christians in so many ways. And the book of Hebrews, in some ways, was a similar context. These new converts, these Jewish Christians, were asking, is it really worth following Jesus? Is he really able to sustain me when there's persecution, there's hardship, when there's challenge, when there's opposition? They were asking big questions. Was Jesus really able to carry them and deliver them when all around them seems way more appealing or when things that they built their life upon seemed to be falling apart. Was Jesus God? Was he really on the throne? Was he really capable of carrying them in this season? Is God really able to walk with us and journey with us in this time of hardship? Perhaps what you've realised in this time is that your faith has been built on your parents' faith or your youth leader's faith, or your student leader's faith, or another leader's faith, and now your walk with Jesus is being tested and challenged and stretched. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus that sustains us through this season? Or perhaps you're missing Sunday gatherings. I mean, we've never been a church solely about Sundays, but we love them, right? We love worshipping together. We love having fun together. We love hanging out before and after the Sunday gatherings. We love worshipping in a way that is corporate and together and we recognise that Sunday Online doesn't quite cut it in the same way. I miss the welcome you get from Jean and Eunice and Sheena they pass you a cup of coffee. We miss our Sunday gatherings. Alan Hirsch helpfully puts it like when you're teaching children to play chess you teach them to use the other pieces before you introduce the Queen because the Queen is the piece that can do the most manoeuvring and you want them to learn how to use the other pieces before you give them the queen so they don't depend on it. And what he says has happened to the church is our queen, our key piece has been moved. So now we're having to learn how to use other pieces, learning how to depend on other things, not just our Sunday services. Our queen, the Sunday gatherings have been taken away. But what does it mean for us in this time of opposition and hardship and challenge to the stuff that we can easily build our faith upon? to keep going, to keep pressing into Jesus, to keep persevering. Because what we can't do, and this passage warns us against we're about to read, is we can't drift. We can't give up. We can't get lukewarm in our faith. The danger for us is that we drift. 
we give up and slowly lose our relationship with Jesus. It's interesting because many of the letters in the New Testament are speaking against certain sins or certain heresies or certain contexts that are allowing the church to walk away from Jesus and to not build their foundations on the teachings of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. But this letter is speaking against the fact that the people are drifting. They're gradually, perhaps unknowingly, walking away from Jesus. In a time of upheaval, in a time of change and opposition, what does it mean for us to be increasingly going deeper with Jesus? What does it mean for us to learn to use other chess pieces so that we can allow our walk with Jesus to get more and more intimate each and every day? Let's read from Hebrews 2. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of, son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now this is unquestionably a difficult passage for many of us. It speaks to assumptions that we'd have the Jewish understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. And what we need to do with Hebrews is try and unpack what sort of questions they were asking as the writer of Hebrews responds to these questions. It's a different culture, it's a different context with different questions. And what makes it more complex is some of the answers to the questions that are dispersed throughout the whole book of Hebrews, which is why we need to read the book together as one piece. But what we can see is that the audience are asking, is Jesus resilient enough? Is a faith with him resilient enough to endure the hardship they were facing? They're asking different questions. Is Jesus both man and God? How can that be? If he is fully man, then surely he's just an angel, as Naomi talked about last week. And he's not the son of God. He's not divine. He's not the God we can put all our hope in. If that's the case, then why can't we add to our faith? Why can't we trust in our things? Sure, Jesus is a good guy, he's worth following, but is he really on the throne? Is he really worthy of my worship? Or perhaps they were asking what it was to follow the law as well, were their Pharisee counterparts were sticking to the law? Was it easy just to go by the rules rather than to worship Jesus? We're asking different questions, we're in a different context, but there's still warnings for us not to get comfortable, complacent or blasé with our faith. We had Gav Calver speak to our team and other teams a few days ago. He's from the Evangelical Alliance. And he said that he's been speaking to government officials about how the church needs to be at the centre of the transformation of society as we rebuild the walls. We feel really called as a church to rebuild the walls as we look in Nehemiah, but that'll be for another time to hear more about that. But we felt, we felt really called to help rebuild the walls. But what he was saying was that the government officials were saying, you can help transform society, you can help be at the heart of the rebuilding of towns and cities, but you mustn't proselytise. He said, hang on a second, that's total nonsense. All of us, to some degree, proselytise. We 
impart our worldview and our ethos on others. I'm not willing to not allow the basis of my faith and my beliefs to be at the heart of what I do. I'm not allowed to, I'm not prepared to ignore that for the sake of your government guidelines. I'm going to keep telling people about Jesus and help them alongside that. You see, this isn't popular. This isn't a popular opinion in a postmodern culture. But we believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. He's the only source of comfort, of joy, of peace. He's the only thing or way of life that's worth worshipping. He is God. He's on the throne. You see, as Naomi spoke about last week, the vision is Jesus. The desire is intimacy with Jesus. The goal is always to get to know Jesus better. He's always the answer. He's always the source of hope. Perhaps you've been wrestling with the fact that you've made Jesus part of your life, but not the sole focus of your life. He's a thing in your life, but not the God who you build your life upon. Or perhaps your faith feels lukewarm. There could be a danger where we're not having Sunday gatherings, that there's not the same distinctive to our colleagues when we don't have to gather on Sundays. Perhaps the temptation on Sunday mornings when it's online church, you think, well, I'll just flick on Netflix because there's no, there's no expectation for me to engage. There's no... But it's not as easy to me to participate in worship. We know that Sunday online is a hard battle. And it's much easier to think, well, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to give my all because it's just a hard sell to commit to Jesus. That's what the early Christians in this letter were tempted to do, to think, well, it's much easier to follow my counterparts. It's much easier to give up when the going gets tough. Is it really worth keeping on, keeping on and enduring through this? For some of us, we might be asking, is it really that Jesus is on the throne? He's really God and able to carry us. Is he just, through the way we live and the way we relate to him, just a good guy, just a good moral teacher, someone who's able to be a crutch, but not one we build our life solely upon? Perhaps we've unknowingly and easily started to drift and started to relate to Jesus in a way that our life isn't solely founded upon him. These well-known words from C.S. Lewis, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would even be a lunatic on the level of a man who said he's a poached egg. Don't know why he's chosen a poached egg. Or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, you can fall at his feet and claim and call him the Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, he did not intend to. When we're tempted to demote Jesus to a good teacher or to someone we can fit into our lives rather than build our lives upon, we have to recall verse 5 that said he's both fully God and fully man. When there's so much change and unknown, we must, as this passage teaches, pay careful attention to not drifting and building our lives on the Jesus who we see in verse 9, lived and died and rose again, who tasted death for us, who endured suffering and pain for us so we can have eternal life. The writer helps us understand this isn't just an intellectual thing because he, for those of us who follow Jesus, has a relationship with us. We experience the reality of a living relationship with him. We can't be blasé and lukewarm about that. We build our life upon that. We see the outworking of that through the way the Holy Spirit ministers in and through his people. 
We see in this passage that then and now God reveals himself through the ministering of the Holy Spirit through his people. The Holy Spirit was alive then and it's alive and real now. The Holy Spirit wants to work and he wants his gifts to be released today. You may remember that back in March we were commencing a series on the Holy Spirit, but we actually cancelled halfway through because of the pandemic. And it's easy to think, well, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the prophetic voices, the ability to use the spiritual gifts are there for Sundays, and now we're not gathering at Central Hall, they're redundant. That's total nonsense. Now we're in our communities, now we're in our homes, God is as alive and available there to meet and minister to his people as he is at Central Hall. He wants to speak prophetically through us as we walk the streets. He wants to encourage us. He wants to speak in and through us. God is alive and real, even though we can't meet essential, even though there's challenge and opposition from different angles. Now is not the time to drift. A few years ago, I was surfing off the coast in Cornwall and I was surfing and I'm not a great surfer and I'm not a great swimmer. I was drifting more and more out to sea. And as I was getting further out, I realised that I was increasingly in more trouble. I was struggling. Now, I was on a surfboard, so I wasn't drowning, but I was getting more and more nervous and the shore was further and further away. I actually went past another surfer who said, are you okay? I was like, the male pride kicked in and for some stupid reason, I ignored him and got further and further out to sea. And my friend Dave, everyone's got a mate Dave, haven't they? He saw me and he's an excellent swimmer. He's one of those people who's good at everything. And he swam out to me like a hero on a surfboard, pulled me back and brought me back in. The frustrating thing, to be honest, was his hero status and legendary status with girls ever increased after that moment as the guy who saved my life. Mine, not so. I didn't come out so well. But what he did was he pulled me back across, diagonally across the riptide. He thought it was useless trying to fight it and go against it. You have to come across it in a different way. Is God allowing us in this time to go in a new direction? Perhaps God is taking us in a new direction individually and as a church so our faith is built on different muscles so we're exercising different muscles so that walk with Jesus isn't just on a Sunday, it's Monday through Saturday. He's still alive, he's still on the throne, he's still good. You see, we don't have the queen, but we do have the king. He's still able and willing and worthy of our worship. He's stretching us and growing us in new ways. And at a time where there's so much uncertainty unknown, we have to hold to the truth that Jesus is good. He's dying on the cross as the ultimate authority. We live for him because he lived and died for us. What does it mean for us to keep going, to keep battling on for Jesus, to keep fighting for him? That's why we have rooted and communities and huddles, because our faith has to be built on so much more than just Sunday gatherings. It has to be built so much more on just an idea of Jesus or a concept of him that doesn't impact our every day, our every hour, every minute of our being. Are we more in love with Jesus than we were ever before? Are we walking with him more intimately than we were last year? Are we closer to Jesus than we were yesterday? One day we'll return to Central Hall, I can't wait. But my hope and prayer is that we return more on fire for Jesus than when we left. Jesus is still there and able to carry us, he's still there to relate to us. What we can't do is drift. In verse 5 in the passage where we see that Jesus came as a subject to the world to come. It's the now and the not yet. 
He came to establish his kingdom. He came to build his kingdom. And he came to impart the power and teaching of his kingdom upon his people. In a time where the temptation is to drift, to get lukewarm, we keep pressing in and establishing the kingdom alongside Jesus. What greater privilege, what greater call, what greater hope is there than to partner with Jesus in building his kingdom and establishing his ways and his works and his methods through society. Guys, it's a challenge. It's a hard time to be a Christian. It's a hard time to get by in society regardless of faith. But what we can't do is drift. We can't give up. We can't allow ourselves to unknowingly swerve and give up on Jesus. It's a time to press and it's a time to turn to him and build a life upon him because as this passage taught, he's greater than anything that's ever lived. He lived, died and rose again for me, for you. He died on the cross so we have eternal life. He's a source of joy, of hope and comfort and we can worship him. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that we would know Jesus in a new and powerful and profound way. I pray that you would speak just incredible hope and truth to us. For those of us who are lukewarm or struggling or just finding you increasingly distant, I pray that now there'll be a fresh encounter with you. Right now, as we sit in our homes, as we sit in our front rooms, I pray that you would speak to us, that you'd minister to us. Perhaps put out your hands as a sign of wanting to receive from God. As strange as it may seem on your own or with friends and family and community, put your hands out. God wants you to encounter him and receive him in a new way. I pray that we would not be a church of individuals who drift. I pray that we would press into you more than ever. Holy Spirit, have your way now. Minister powerfully in and through your people. Amen.